Welcome to Empowering Connections, a podcast by Connie Akins, a licensed professional counselor with a private practice to help you heal your personal and professional relationships through counseling advice, tips, and ideas. Empowering Connections will focus on healthy ways to improve these relationships, help you manage your stress, and attain a better sense of self-fulfillment. This interview was facilitated using a digital video conference call. As such, not all audio was perfectly recorded. We apologize for any inconvenience and know that we strive to bring you quality mental health topics, guests, and content through any limitations. Today I have a special guest with me, Reynard Meredith, and we will be discussing how mental health differs from mental illness. Reynard and I are both professional counselors who work in private practice. Reynard has been a guest on Empowering Connections podcast a few times, and I'm happy to have him today. Reynard, would you like to update us on how you're doing and tell the listeners how to follow you? Yes, absolutely. Thank you again, Connie, for having me on to the show today. Um, I've always had a great time coming in. And so for myself, I'm known on Instagram as Reynard the Counselor, so you can look me up there. Um, I'm not on Facebook as of yet. However, you can also find me on uh, Psychology Today, up under my name, Reynard Meredith, and you can find me on Therapy for Black Men, up under my name, Reynard Meredith. So those are the three ways that you can get in contact with me. Okay, thanks. Excited to have you again. So today, like I said, we're going to be discussing mental health versus mental illness. And I want to start by saying that any crisis can impact your mental health and can be even more devastating to a person who is suffering from mental illness. And we know right now we have a pandemic going on. Uh, May is the beginning of Mental Health Awareness Month. And it is important to break the stigma around receiving services for your mental health. Going to therapy does not make you crazy, okay? It does not at all. Thanks, Reynard. As a matter of fact, going to therapy can help prevent a crisis. Mm-hmm. Reynard, what is the difference between mental illness and mental wellness? Absolutely. So, yes, the difference that I believe that you will see with mental illness and mental wellness with mental illness, from that perspective, you are actually looking at the medical model for mental health. You are looking at the DSM hardcore um, specific criteria. So if a person has a, a mental illness, you're going to expect them to be talking about specific diagnoses of like anxiety, uh, generalized anxiety disorder, major depressive disorder. Uh, maybe even schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, any of those things, when, they, when you hear the professionals talk about mental illness, they're going to be talking about specific diagnoses as well as the criteria that fits those diagnoses. Now, mental wellness is more so along the lines of just like your everyday self-care. What do you do when you are stressed out? How do you make sure that you don't overwhelm yourself? How do you make sure that you're in a good space on a regular daily basis? That's going to be mental wellness. What do you use as coping, healthy coping skills, I should say, to be able to cope with the different life stressors that you experience, whether it's on the job, in the home, with spouse, kids, 
um, with your friends? What are the things that you do to make sure that you have a solid grasp on your reality and how you're taking care of yourself? So those are the two main differences between mental illness and mental wellness. Mental wellness is just everyday things that you do to take care of yourself. Mental illness is going to be the specific diagnosis as well as their criteria. Awesome, awesome. I totally agree with you. Mental illness is something, is a state where you go to a professional and you are diagnosed with something based on the DSM-5 diagnostic criteria and mental wellness consists of your ability to function and cope with everyday life stressors or challenges. Thanks, Raynard, for that definition. Absolutely, absolutely. I will say this, mental illness is not a phase that you're going through. So if a person is suffering from a mental illness and you know that they have a diagnosis, it's not a phase. It's not something that you can grow out of. It's something that requires therapeutic treatment and on, in some instances, it also requires medication. Reynard, how does one address mental wellness to prevent mental illness? Absolutely. So when you have a person who they may not have learned healthy coping skills to deal with life distressors, um, their level of resiliency is below what is expected or it's below what's what's needed to survive in the day-to-day life so when you have that low tolerance for stress when you have that low resiliency you're going to find that you're more susceptible to being diagnosed with a mental illness and that mental illness is going to come into place and that's not just like you're oh i felt depressed one day or i felt depressed for two days or i felt anxious these past two days it's going to become a, a major disruption to your daily functioning on a regular basis. This is going to be something that you are going to need to talk with somebody about. You're going to have to sit with somebody to really have them to tell you what are the things that you can do to cope with this thing. So if you are finding yourself being easily stressed or you know finding yourself experiencing periods of hopelessness, if you get those things addressed with a professional at an early stage, you may, may be able to prevent it from turning into a mental illness because ultimately what you'll be doing is building your resiliency. You'll be building your stress tolerance. You'll be building up your coping skills to really make your way through your day-to-day life trials and tribulations. But if it doesn't get treated if you don't learn those coping skills it definitely can turn into an actual mental illness where it's disrupting your daily functioning awesome that's a great answer what are some common childhood mental health occurrences name two or three and give an example Mm -hmm. absolutely for children the i would say two of the biggest ones that i oftentimes see is going to be anxiety or generalized anxiety disorder where this child frequently experiences bouts of being feeling unsafe or they feel like there's a threat and there's no actual present threat there but their body is responding to some type of stimulus that's telling them it's a threat so they may for example 
go into a classroom full of people, a child may go into a classroom full of people and they don't know these people and they don't really see that, okay, these people aren't necessarily dangerous, but their brain and their thoughts can tell them, hey, and it can cause their adrenaline to begin to pump. And once their adrenaline begins to pump, their body responds in an anxious way. Sweaty palms, um, kind of hiding behind their parent, uh, maybe like hyperventilating, panicking, crying, having tantrums and things of that nature. So that's what anxiety would look like for a child. For the other one that I typically see too is you'll see a lot of, de you'll see depression with children. And now, which is really growing, um, with children, you'll see that, who are children who are experiencing depression, you'll see things such as um, they're crying a lot, um, they're having a lot of anger outbursts, where you think that, oh, this child just has a problem with anger. They may be more so just irritable from feeling depressed. Um, they may be tired a lot. They you know, are resistant to follow rules. They may sleep a lot more or they don't sleep at all. And the thing that you oftentimes see is that, that depression and anxiety go hand in hand most of the time. So if a child has depression, you can pretty much bet on that they're probably gonna have some anxiety and vice versa. Um, other diagnoses that I usually see with children can range anywhere from like autism or your, your autism spectrum disorders, which that's what the DSM-5 now classifies it as, whereas in the past it was autism spectrum, it was autism as well as Asperger's. Um, so for that one, you usually are gonna see huge deficits in their ability to recognize um, social cues. They're going to be the child who may be socially awkward. Um, on the more severe end, they may engage in like self-soothing uh, things such as like rocking back and forth um, when they become escalated or their their sensory uh, challenges become uh, come to the forefront. You may see them do the rocking back and forth. They may engage in like the head banging. They may um, need like to rub something on their skin, things like that. Those are signs that you might want to look for with autism. And also to a recent, not phenomenon, but a recent thing that has really begun to develop is the ideation of trauma. A lot of children have begun to, uh, well, not even have begun, but it's becoming to the forefront and we're able to recognize it more with, uh, with our profession is that kids have a lot of trauma. And that can also lead to PTSD for children, which a lot of times children with PTSD oftentimes get misdiagnosed with having attention deficit hyperactivity disorder because they zone out a lot. Um, they'll be in a classroom and they may zone out or be like all over the place, but it's just because their brain can't focus because they're in hyper focus mode. Um, they can't really pay attention to a lot of different things. They may have nightmares. Um, what else goes along with, with that one? They'll yeah, they'll have the nightmares, they'll have um, anxious behaviors, they'll have depressive behaviors, a lot of outbursts and things like that. So anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, autism spectrum disorder, those are kind of the big ones that you really see with children in mental health disorders. And that is a lot. I would say that anxiety also can present as inattention, accepting, mm -hmm. worrying, um defiance uh, there's a lot of kids that i encounter who have school refusal they refuse to oh, come yeah. to school uh if they come to school they refuse to leave a specific area of the building to go to their classroom so absolutely. you're absolutely right when you pointed out the different um criteria 
for each specific um, disorder. And I would also say that autistic children or autism spectrum disorder, some of those children can also have um, defiant behavior and refusal to follow school rules, parental rules, just, mm -hmm. and they also have a lot of uh, social connectivity issues around Absolutely. how they socialize with others. Mm -hmm. As well as I forgot the hyperactivity for them too. Exactly. That's a big part of Asperger's as well. Mm -hmm. Exactly. How can parents best address or help with some of these common mental health occurrences among their children? For example, what can a parent do about anxiety or um, depression? Hmm. So one of the things that I would say that a parent could do when it comes to just mental illness for their, with their children, the, the main thing that they need to start with is just being open to the idea that there's a possibility that my child could have something, could have a diagnosis or my child, could be exhibiting something other than just bad or poor behavior. So I would say that's one of the first steps is just having that open mind that our children could possibly have difficulties, difficulties in functioning, not because they're just bad or just because they want to create a problem for us, but it may be something more medical with going on with them. So I think that's the first step is having that open mind the second thing is once you begun, once you begin to recognize that there are some differences or some challenges that your child is experiencing, um, begin to research, um, explore. What are some like? Okay, this is peculiar about my child. Um, they, you know, they're crying a lot, or you know, they won't get out the car when it comes to like going to the grocery store, or when it comes to leaving my side as their parent, they always cling to me. That's unusual. So let me kind of like Google and see what could possibly be going on there. And then the third thing is once you have seen that, okay, this behavior is not going away after a few weeks or maybe a month or so, get them into some type of services. Because if you get, the earlier you get them in the service, the sooner you can know how to be of a benefit to your child and how to help your child begin to overcome whatever obstacles or challenges that they're facing. Um, when you go in, oftentimes when people come into services, they've waited years and years. And now this child who was having symptoms at five has grown up to be a 15 or 16 year old with these same symptoms and challenges, but now it's become a way of life for them. And it's going to be really hard for them to begin to shift and develop those coping skills and build that resiliency. So the earlier you get them in for services, the better as well as just because you're bringing them in for services does not mean that they have to leave that office with medication. It doesn't mean that they have to leave there with a specific diagnosis. You just want to know that you're leaving this office with something with more knowledge about your child. So I think those are the three things that you know can do. Open mind, research, get them in for services. Okay. And I believe when Reynard is referring to services, he's meaning get them in for either a diagnostic evaluation, mm -hmm. get them to a therapist so that they can learn coping skills, 
skills to help prevent their anxiety or depression, uh, some interventions around managing their emotions and being able to self-regulate. Those are very important skills that children can learn at an earlier age if parents will be open, as Reynard said with his initial comment, to the idea of your child possibly having a mental health occurrence or issue. That's where it's important to break the stigma. Mm -hmm. And like I said earlier, because you go to a therapist doesn't make you crazy or it doesn't make you mentally ill, it is important to find out what your child actually needs. Absolutely. And to get them Absolutely. the help and the services that they can benefit from. What do you think parents can do to promote mental wellness, Reynard? Absolutely. Um, one of the big things that I've been talking to a lot of parents about is sitting and talking with your children about their emotions, how to deal with intense, tough emotions. One of the challenges that, that parents often have is they have this belief that they, their child needs to be happy all the time. Their child, if, if their child isn't happy or if their child is sad, if, if the child is you know, having a bad day, that you as the parent have to do something to make them happy. And you don't want to do that per se, well, one, we're going to acknowledge that when you can't have, when you can't do something to make your child happy, it does cause, it can cause you to feel helpless as a parent. Like, oh my God, am I failing as a parent? It doesn't mean that. And the reason that it doesn't happen that way is because it's not realistic that your child will never be sad or upset. What we want to do in those moments is we want to help our children to understand what their, what their emotion is, how their emotions are affecting them physically as well as you know, behaviorally, and as well as what can they do with this ball of emotions. We wanna teach our kids affect regulation, emotion regulation, and distress tolerance skills. How can they experience this emotion and still be okay? It doesn't, teaching them that it doesn't have to be the end of the world if they are sad, if they are unhappy, and that these emotions will come in waves and they will go. So I think those are the biggest things that we could do as parents to help our children is teaching them those um, affect regulation skills, uh, stress tolerance, how to be able to sit through an emotion, as well as being able to recognize and understand how their emotions are affecting them and what thoughts they had that led them to feel that emotion. Okay. I also believe that one uh, popular way to help children now is to teach your child mindful practices. So mm -hmm. when the child is upset, teach them how to get grounded, how to encounter the five senses of smell, taste, hearing, seeing, and touch. And also make sure that, as Reynard said, your child learns some distress tolerance um, activities. There are many ways that we can help children, but we have to be open and, and I can't express that enough. We have to be open to both receiving help. We also have to learn uh, feeling language because in general, a lot of people don't know how to express their feelings. 
So using feeling words and I messages, these are things that are useful in teaching children how to, as Reynard said, self-regulate and manage emotions at a much earlier age level. And I always, I, I recommend that every parent who hears this, that you expose your child to an emotion or feeling chart. Have an emotion or feeling chart in the room posted somewhere so that when they begin to experience these intense emotions or changes in their emotions, you guys can go right over to the wall with the emotion chart and the little smiley faces or the sad face. And just like, well, you know, I know you said that you are feeling, you know, angry. Which face matches that? Which feeling face on this chart matches that? And then begin to talk about it that way. And that's how you can develop their um, emotion vocabulary so that they know that it's more feelings out there than just happy, angry, sad. Awesome. So to wrap it up, Reynard, what are some benefits of going to therapy? Absolutely. Um, therapy, of course, I'm a therapist, so I'm always going to be a champion for it. Um, so going to therapy, one, you are going to be exposed to somebody who is not judging you. Um, well, you know, you might, there may be some judgment, but they are able to cope with their own judgments and be able to help you to be able to process things the way that you need them to be processed unbiased. Um, you're, you're getting a, a support system, a professional support that is going to be helping you to understand information about your child, understand information about yourself, discover new um, coping skills, discover new ways of looking at different situations, changing your perspective. And so you're, you're getting that. It's almost I always tell my clients that it's almost like having a friend or a family member that isn't going to judge you and can't go and tell your business to anybody. That's what you're really going to be getting. You come into counseling, somebody who's going to be giving you that un unconditional regard, that unconditional love as a, as a client, as a support, and you're gonna just be developing skills and they're gonna be helping you to find different resources that you couldn't necessarily find on your own. And it's a safe place. It's a safe place. Awesome, and I just wanna to add to that as a therapist and also a parent, one of the, some of the benefits are improvement in the parent-child relationship. If you take yes. a child to therapy and they learn the skills that are necessary for emotion management and self-regulation, that is going to help improve your relationship. Improvement in communication, because when we speak in terms of feelings, we have a level of empathy that is essential to effective communication. Also, there can be relief from anxiety and depression, which you know, if your child is diagnosed with either one of these disorders, certainly, Therapy, therapy is the greatest benefit for helping them to manage that. And I would also say improve self-regulation and emotion management. Clarity and greater and improved self-confidence. We want all of our children that we work with in each of our different settings to feel self-confident, healthy, and able to regulate their own emotions. Now, would you like to say anything else? 
No, I think that's it. That's pretty good. I mean, those are definitely going to be the benefits that you get out of there. You're gonna, they're going to get that self-awareness, that heightened self-awareness. So I think you said it beautifully. It's that you're getting a lot of bang for your buck there. All right. So don't be afraid to help break the stigma. And remember that May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And Reynard and I are both licensed professional counselors and therapists, and we will do everything that we can to help. Please remember to listen to Empowering Connections. Thank you. The Empowering Connections podcast is not intended to replace the need for a professional counseling relationship. This podcast does not constitute professional advice or counseling services. As always, if you need mental health services, please seek a qualified mental health provider. You can find Connie Akins on the websites Psychology Today and Therapy for Black Girls. If you have an iTunes or Spotify account, please subscribe, share, and continue to listen. Feel free to check out Connie Akins' website at www.empoweringserenity.net and follow Connie on Instagram at empoweringserenity. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast. We appreciate you listening to the Empowering Connections podcast and providing feedback. Stay positive.